This is episode one of We Effed Up. I am Teresa. I'm Cody. And we're here to tell you about all the times in human history where we effed up. It's a lot. It is. There are many, many times that humans have effed up, but that's what this podcast is about. Mostly it's a historic podcast, but today we're doing... Operation Ajax, and why if you fail at something, sometimes it's best to not try again. Fun. Okay. Mm. Sounds like fun. All right. Loads a- of fun. Ajax is also a type of dishwashing liquid, if you didn't know that. No, I didn't. Maybe that's why it's named Ajax, after Operation Ajax. I couldn't find that in the research, but I, I, I can't count it out. Um, dishwashing liquid is probably a petroleum product. And if this is based in Iran, which I think it is based off of the notes I snooped on earlier, maybe maybe it has something to do with it. Maybe. Well, we'll find out, won't we? Okay. So, as Teresa mentioned, uh, Operation Ajax, um, it was a coup attempt in 1953 uh, that overthrew the democratically elected government of Iran, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Ooh. Uh, so, for a little bit of background, uh, Iran as a country, has existed in various forms for 2,500 years. It's one of the world's oldest civilizations. Uh, It's obviously changed. Like, the modern-day Islamic Republic of Iran is not the same as the ancient Achaemenid Empire of, like, Cyrus the Great and Darius and Xerxes. The ancient what empire? Achaemenid. Okay. All right. Yes. Uh, Like, the Empire of Cyrus and Darius and Xerxes. Yes, the guy from 300. No, he didn't actually look like that. Um, How do you know? Have you ever seen a picture? We have plenty of images of Xerxes. He did not look like that. That you know of. Maybe that was his party outfit. And you just missed that part. I don't know anything about parties, so I don't know what his party outfits look like. So, <laughs> so you're telling me he wasn't 9 foot tall? Uh, no, he was he, not. No, he was definitely at least 11 foot tall and golden. And he had a nose ring. And I know this, because I watched 300, and that whole entire movie is entirely 100% accurate. Historically accurate. If you guys could see, Cody's brain just exploded. We're only on the first Commonly episode. called Persia by <laughs> Western powers. Uh, Iran, I'm going to try to lean away from calling it Persia. It's uh, an exonym from ancient Greek. Uh, the people have always called the country itself Iran. Persia is a name that the West is like just applied to the country. Okay. So... I try to call the country what it, uh, what it, like what the people have always called themselves, even though at the time it was generally just called Persia. And people, the people of Iran were called Persians. Uh, yeah, uh, but they didn't call themselves that. Do you know what Iran means? Uh, it, it comes from uh, like the ancient, like what we'd call the old Persian language. Okay. Um, but uh, there, there have been like several different. Um, okay hypothesis of where the actual name came from. We're not really 100% sure. It's just old. It's old AF. Yeah. Okay. That's old AF. Yep. It was called Persia. We're not calling it Persia because they don't like that. Uh, The reason I bring that up is that about midway through our story, or at least in the background of it, it goes from being like generally called Persia to generally being called Iran. Like they were just like, hey, world, stop calling us Persia. We're not Persia. Oh, nice. So so I'm just going to refer to it as Iran the whole time, even though generally it's called Persia at one point in our story so just that just generally just just so you're aware so you don't get confused uh Iran has roughly one-tenth of the world's proven oil reserves which is 
A lot of oil. What's proven oil reserves? Uh, oil reserves that they've found. Like, like, okay. the, like they've taken measurements of how much oil is there. Um, English businessman William Darcy was given a 60-year concession to look for oil back in 1901. So he, basically they were like, you got 60 years, just find us all the yep. oil that you can. Exactly. In Iran specifically? Yes. That seems weird. Well, was it owned by the British? No, like Iran at the time was an independent country, but it was like kind of in between all these powers, like the Russians, the British, uh, the French. Okay. All these different competing powers were kind of like uh, pressuring it. So was Iran asking for people to come and hunt for oil, or did the British, were they just like, no, we own like at least 85% of the world right now, you're going to go look for oil for 60 years. Uh, The British just asked them like, hey, can we look for oil here? Because we found oil over in... The rest of the Middle East, we want to look for it here to see if it's here, too. Oh, okay. Just like, okay. you know, kind of say, like, oh, is it, if, it, if it's here, we can exploit it. If not, no harm, no foul. The 60-year, 60-year yeah. assignment, though, to do that. Yep. How old was he when he got it? I don't know. I didn't look that up. <laughs> I just wonder if he was, like, already 60, and they're like, look, you got 60 years. He's like, I'm, I'm basically dead already. Okay, sorry. No, but, um... But luckily, he only found it seven years later, in 1908. Nice. Uh, the following year, the Anglo-Persian Oil Company, or APOC, was formed. I'm going to refer to it from now on as the AIOC, or Anglo-Iranian Oil Company, just to mm-hmm. stick with Iran. Okay. Um, so that was formed in 1909. Uh, a few years later, the, U- the UK government took a controlling interest in it in 1914, World War One. Okay. They need the oil. Sure. Give us the oil. Okay. Uh, in 1925, the previous rulers of Iran, the Qajar dynasty, they were overthrown in a coup by a man named Reza Khan Pahlavi in okay. 1925. And he becomes the Shah of Iran. That's like their king. Okay. It's uh, very old title. Uh-huh. Um, you might have heard like the phrase Shah on Shah or King of Kings. Uh-huh. Because... They thought they were better. Like, their kings were better than everybody else's kings. I've heard uh, they say that in the famous Clash song, Rock the Casbah, so. I'll take your word for it. You uh, never heard Rock the Casbah? Come on. I have, but I don't remember the lyrics the offhand. The Sharif don't like it. Rock the Casbah. Rock the... They say the Shah in there. That's how I learned the word Shah. And now we're going to have to pay royalties. Thank you very much. No, I sang a short enough part that we won't have to play it. Okay, okay. fair enough. <laughs> Uh, and after the Pahlavi dynasty couldn't uh, took control, they began to like really build up their oil infrastructure. The Abadan refinery in the south of the country became the largest oil refinery in the world by the 1930s. Dang! So yeah. they find they find oil in 1908. In 1914, the British own it, and then in the 1930s, they're like, "We've got so much oil that we're making more oil than anybody else in the whole world." Oh yes. Ding. Um. That's a lot of oil. In 1941, during World War II, uh, the British and the Soviets both invade uh, Iran. Soviets from the north, the British from the south. Was that for the oil? Uh, There were multiple reasons. Um, It was to secure their supply lines um, because they didn't really have a direct supply line to each other because, you know, there's a little thing called Nazi Germany in between them. Um, And it was also... To kind of overthrow Reza Pahlavi, he would kind of express some pro-Nazi sympathies. Okay. Which, no matter who you are, is never a good thing to do. Right. Um, so the Russians and the British were like, homies, let's tag team. High five. Let's go into Iran. Yeah, go, let's coo this guy out of here. But also, we want the oil, too. Uh, exactly. Okay. Uh, and they just put his son in charge. 
uh, his son Mohammed Reza Pahlavi, he becomes the new Shah of Iran. So he was sympathetic then to the British and the Russians. Yes. Okay. Like, and he's also very young, so it's like, oh, okay, there's this puppet we can control. Mm. Uh, but over the next uh, several years, uh, growing resentment of foreign advantages in Iran led to increased nationalist sentiments. Like, um, we are Iranians, all these uh, foreign influences need to be need to be gotten rid of uh, out of the country. The so, resources belong to us. Okay, so the British did all this stuff, and now they have too much of a stake in it. We want to own our own means of production. No more English. No more British. No more Russians. Mm-hmm. We want to be Iranians again, and we want to we want control of our own oil reserves. Probably because they're seeing how much money was exiting the country, and yes. how much profit the British and the Russians were making off of Iran. Yes, exactly. That they were not privy to. Okay. Yes. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, so, going into a little bit of background about uh, Muhammad Reza Pahlavi, he becomes, a, obviously, he's the Shah, a very important player in these events. Uh, he'd been born in 1919 to Reza Pahlavi and his wife. Uh, his father had actually been the prime minister in the early 1920s, but then took power in a coup in right. 1925, as I I'm, mentioned. I'm sorry. Let me interject really quick and ask a quick question. Was it a monarchy? Was yes. It, is a yeah. shah like a, yes, a the, king the in shah. terms of a monarch? Yes. Okay. Um, it was not. It was sort of in between a constitutional monarch and an absolute monarch. So okay. like, not as kind of figurehead like as like Elizabeth II, uh-huh. but not a total total monarch like uh, like the like the kings of Saudi Arabia. Or okay. Like that. So kind of in between. Okay. And then my second question was: during the coup, was Muhammad's father killed? No, no, Muhammad's father was the guy doing the coup. Oh. Or, or, or like, like the, do you mean the coup in 1925 or the 1941 The 1941 coup? one. He was not. He okay. was sent to exile. He died a few years later in 1944. Okay. I didn't um, know if that was going to come back up, but I was like, did... No, his, his father's, he's out of the picture. He's, okay. he's irrelevant. Um, okay. Interesting, though, that they would, there would be a coup in 1941, and if they would, this son would just be like, yeah, I'm cool with taking over power of my dad. Bye, dad. You're exiled now. Hey, I mean, I mean, I guess way power to stay in a, exactly way to stay in power. Power struggles are weird, and yep. family doesn't matter. Okay, nope. I'm sorry. Continue. Um, the young Shah he had been educated in Switzerland, and this is a fun fact that I knew would tickle your fancy. Um, he was known to be a womanizer while he was abroad, uh, and one of the women he was linked to, I don't, you might know the name offhand. If you do, is it Justin Trudeau's mom? No, oh, it's dang. not Justin Trudeau's mom. Darn. It's Yvonne DiCarlo, who would later go on to play Lily Munster on The Munsters. What? Yep. That's Sorry, I said one, that really loud. Supposedly he was linked to her, but... Is she Swiss? Or was he just a player and went all over the place? I think he just went all over the place, but I, I don't. I didn't look that far into it. Like I couldn't really find much more into it than just that mention. Weird. Yeah, it's, I know. It's yeah. really weird to think that she was around that same age in 1941 because it seems like so long ago but okay yeah interesting all right we'll, we'll have to do more research in that yeah i mean she goes Play from, girls of hollywood goes from the shah to fred Wynn. <laughs> who's fred Wynn? herman munster oh they weren't together though no but no my god because this is real life not a tv show your tv line education is lacking <laughs> your tv line education is lacking anyway <laughs> Uh, we're gonna watch the monsters here soon. Um, <laughs> anyway, the sh- the Shah. She was Margaret. Um, you was her. What's her name? From Yvonne De Carlo. Yeah, Yvonne De Carlo was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, oh. Canada. Yeah, she's Canadian. Okay, 
So, all over the place. Yep. Jet setter. Uh, the Shah was opposed to uh, the oil nationalization uh, that was beginning to be discussed in Parliament. Um, they wanted to, like, begin to, like, nationalize the oil industry to, like, kind of, like, take it back. So, so the Shah did not want Iran no. to nationalize it. No, because he was... Uh, sympathetic to oh, the yeah. interests of the foreign powers because sure, they sure. were the ones giving him money. But, yeah, and they appointed him. They were uh, like, "Here, you be yeah. you be the shot now." Pretty much. And he's like, "Uh, he's like, yes, the Iranian people should be strong." And they're like, "Okay, we'll kick out the British and Russians." He's like, "Wait, not like that. No, not not like not that way. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that's not what I meant." <laughs> uh, an assassination attempt against him in 1949 want, uh, led him to want to become more involved in politics, like not to be. Just kind of like on the sidelines, just watching everything happen. So he didn't want to be a figurehead anymore. No, he, he did was not. like, he was like, all right, now I need to pay attention. Correct. Okay. Um, one of the people leading this uh, nationalization effort was a man by the name of Mohammed Mossadegh. I I have heard the name Mossadegh before. Yes. Okay. Um, he's born in 1882 to prominent Iranian politicians. Uh, he was educated in France, and he was actually the first Iranian to receive a law degree from a European university Interesting. Uh, back in 1913. So, wow, okay. prom- prominent Iranian, uh, fr- coming from a powerful family. Um, Highly heard, educated. We've heard this song and dance numerous times throughout history, sure. including up to the present day. Yeah. Um, he'd served in various government roles in the early 1920s, uh, but he'd retired from politics in 1925 when uh, Reza Pahlavi... Uh, the dad, the of Shah's Muhammad. dad, yes. Mm-hmm. When he came to power, because he didn't support his views. Okay, so he was like, "That is a whole big bag of cats. I'm not yes. down with that. I'm retiring." He was also very distantly related to the previous dynasty of Shah's. Oh, so. okay. So it was also sort of like a personal thing. Yeah, it was both personally opposed to the politics and personally involved in a familial sense. Yeah, okay. very very tangentially, but Okay. Um but he comes back in 1944 and is elected to uh the Majlis, which is the Iranian parliament. Okay. I'm probably butchering that. And if Majlis. I am, I apologize. Okay. All right. Um he co-founds the National Front of Iran in 1949, which okay. is a very pro-democracy nationalist group, which is not a combination you really think of too much. Yeah. Because you think nationalist, you think like kind of like right wing, yeah. like Nazis or fascists or that kind of thing. Sure. You don't really think of like pro democracy nationalists. Yeah. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting combination. Um, cool. So so he is the leading opposition then against Reza. You said is his first name. Uh, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi is okay. the Shah. Okay. Reza Pahlavi is What's his dad. dad? Okay. Yes. It, it's so... it's confusing. That's why I'm. The Shah, I'm just going to refer to him now as the Shah. Okay, so that's Muhammad yes. that you're talking about. Yeah, okay. just the Shah. So he's main opposition to the Shah. The Shah's like, I want to stay in power. Mm-hmm. I want the British and Russians to stay here because they put me here and also because we're all making one another money. Mm-hmm. And this other guy, Muhammad Mossadegh, is like, no, we need to build a strong Iran without the assistance of outside influences yes. and outside countries. And the Shah's like, not like that. No, <laughs> we want no. a strong Iran with all the other countries around us strong, too. <laughs> we want a strong Iran with me getting rich. Yes, exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, okay. Uh, Makes sense. Got it. Mossadegh uh, rode like a very way, a strong wave of popular support to the point where the Shah 
had no choice but to appoint him as prime minister wow. in April 1951. Because he was, it was like so important and so yes. moving to the people that he was like, I need to get in front of this. Yep. Okay. So how old was Mossadegh around this time? Was he like a little bit older? Because he retired from politics for yeah. almost 20 years. Well, he had been born in uh, 1882. So he was about mm, his like late 40s, early 50s at this point. And the Shah is only in his 30s. Okay, so he's older. He's he's yeah. basically done so much that he's had 20 years of time to retire, mm-hmm. and now he's back. Yep. And he still has such a draw with the people that, mm-hmm. that he's like, oh, I need to get in front of this. Here you go. You can be prime minister. I can see where this is going. Yeah. All right, yep. <laughs> let's continue. Um, uh, most of it only agreed to become prime minister if parliament voted to nationalize the AIOC, the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company, huh. uh, and they did it. Wow, okay. So they just went like, all right. This is your condition for being prime minister. We're going to nationalize this. We own this company now, UK, so suck it. Okay. What um, about Russia? Were they already out at this yeah, point? Yeah, they, they were already out by this point. Um, that was a whole thing up there. Yeah, and they, they were more focused on, like, Eastern Europe and that uh, maintaining, like, Eastern European, like, their puppet regimes there. Okay. Uh, and spreading communism throughout the world. They weren't really concerned or cooperating with the British at this point. I see. I see. Um, so, uh, they're out. Um Many new reforms began to be enacted, like land reform, unemployment insurance, and there had still been a sort of quasi-serfdom in Iran. Okay. Um, <clears throat> serfdom is slavery by different name, essentially. Yeah. There's a big debate in that in historiography circles that I don't have time to get into right now. But but basically, there was, like, castes. There yes. was, like, a lower caste there. Yeah, like, you were very stuck in your class, like, where you were. And it was you very would, hard to move. Up and and you, you could work for, like, a wealthy family. Yes. Like, generally, generationally. <clears throat> yes. Okay, I understand. Um, Mostek attempted to negotiate with the British government once uh, the nationalization went through, but the British government were like, no, why would we negotiate with you? Okay. They were you, like, well, you took our money, so... Yeah, so... No way. Um, and they played hardball and blocked other countries from actually buying Iranian oil. Wow, okay. So they are really trying to stick it to them. Uh, and try to put them in their place, really, because, you know, we're the British Empire. We rule the world. <laughs> and also, the the British, the British still, at this point, were still, like, they were an empire at that yeah, point, Yeah, right? it was really starting to collapse, because mm-hmm. uh, after World War II, they just couldn't afford it anymore. Mm-hmm. Sure. So it was starting to come apart, um, and the, this could also be seen as, like, a last grasp of, like, no, we're still important. Oh, okay. You know, kind of thing. I was um, going to say, if if you're saying we're not going to play ball with Britain, then none of the British countries are going to be buying oil from Iran, right. most likely. So, And even then, like, they're still allied to, like, the United States, and they're still obviously close to like, Canada and France and the rest of Western sure. Europe. And, like, so, like, all these countries that are really the ones consuming most of the oil, uh-huh. they're not buying it. So. Ah, I see. Okay. Um, so the British, they evacuated all the employees of the AI, AIOC from Iran. And part of the problem was that uh, the Iranians themselves weren't the ones working the facility. So they didn't really know how oh, to do it. Okay. So production fell as well. So as the British people, they basically were like, we own some of your oil. We're taking a lot of your oil. We're running all of the machines that are, are refining your crude oil. Mm-hmm. Now we're out. Good luck with that. Yep. Y- y'all can do it yourself now. Pretty much. If you want to own your own company, that's fine, but now you got to learn how to run it. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well. Like I said, playing hardball. Yeah. Uh, the Shah attempted to actually remove Mossadegh in July 1952. Uh, he'd actually been prime minister for a little less than a year at this point. 
because the Shah, again, didn't want this to happen. Sure. He, um, but he was forced to reappoint him. They were, like, riots in the streets. Wow. So he's like, all right, I have to keep this guy. I can't fire him. Dang. Talk about um, being between a rock and a hard place. Oh, yeah. Like, do I depose this, or do I take this guy out of office that the people obviously love and start working again with these foreign oil interests? Or do I cave to the people and just have to suck it up and not make more money from oil? Exactly. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it's a it not mean, it's not a good situation. It was a pressure situation that he created. Yes. Himself. So it, I mean, you can't really feel too sorry. I guess. Oh no, for him. no, never, never feel bad for the Shah at any point in this story. Okay. All right. Just I will keep not. That, do not. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. I will not feel bad for him. <laughs> no. Um. um so, at this point, uh, the British began plotting the overthrow of Mossadegh. Like, this whole operation, it really began as a British uh, operation. Um, and they wanted to involve the United States, but the Truman administration, like, like Harry Truman was president this time, they're like, no, why, why would we do this? We don't have any... He was, he, was, he was elected. He was democratically elected. Why are we doing that? Why would we do that? So, they're like, we don't have a dog in that fight. Exactly. We support democracy. He's prime minister. That means he's allowed to call the shots. Exactly. And and the British were like, but they like bolt up their. But fists we want a coup. Yeah, they're like, we want the oil though. And and Truman's like, cool, I but, guess. But we're the British, and we want to invade somebody. Let us invade somebody. <laughs> Cody just threw a whole tantrum right right in the right in the middle of this podcast. Cody right? as the United Kingdom. Put it that way. Uh, <laughs> But the election of Dwight Eisenhower in November 1952 uh, changed the American attitude toward regime change. Oh. Uh, Eisenhower had seen firsthand the advantages of covert action during World War II. Again, he'd been the supreme allied commander in Europe, uh, so he'd been well, well aware and ordered many covert operations, uh, spy operations, like behind enemy lines, like that kind of thing. Like the movie Behind Enemy Lines? I've never seen it. Me neither. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I asked. Um, so, that's weird. Don't whisper things. That's two pilots that got stuck behind them, behind enemy lines. We'll save that for the Behind Enemy Lines podcast <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> so, so Eisenhower, what you're saying is Eisenhower was not a good guy. He did, he did things for the greater good, quote-unquote. Yes, and there were a lot of things he should be commended for, but there's a lot of problems also with his administration. Like, uh, you start seeing, like, really, like, the civil rights movement begin to take shape under Roosevelt, or not under Roosevelt, under Eisenhower, and he doesn't really do much to support it. Okay, but in terms of but, this thing, yeah. you're talking about covert regime changes. Yeah. When you yeah, say yeah. that phrase, it sounds pretty gnarly. It is. Okay. And in the case of Nazi Germany, that's one thing. But Yeah. But I don't necessarily know that that's what you're referencing when you're saying covert regime changes. Uh, not Nazi Germany specifically. I mean, like... Because oh, Nazi oh, like, Germany, it was pretty overt that we were trying to overthrow the yeah, yeah, Nazi yeah, regime. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, uh, Eisenhower, like, it was more like spy operations. He could okay. see, like, what um, kind of, like, subtle spy operations could do to benefit like their cause okay so like sending like sending like uh, somebody over to like sabotage his factory or sending oh. somebody to spread misinformation in this region like so, that kind of thing so how did did he do that in this particular area is that something that we're going to talk about yes okay well, well i'm we're, interested we're, we're gonna get to that all right um 
he, he had seen the advantage of that, but he also seen the failures of overaction, like during the Korean War, okay. when it's like, we specifically sent an army over there to do a thing, and it still hasn't resolved 60-odd years later. So okay. it right. didn't exactly work then. So he's like, well, maybe instead of invading countries and imposing our will or, or what have you, we should go this more subtle route to do that. Okay. I don't know why I'm doing gestures with my hands. Nobody can see me. That's okay. Um, it's all right. If it helps you enunciate, then that's totally fine. An operative from the SIS, uh, the British Special Intelligence Service. Where James Bond works? More commonly known as MI6. Yay! I was right. It's where James Bond works. Yes. <laughs> uh, an operative from there named Monty Woodhouse, mm-hmm. which is the most British name. His full name's like Christopher Montague Woodhouse. It's like... He's the fifth Baron Terrington. I'm reading that yeah, off my paper. Yeah, later on in life. But yeah, it's like... Fifth how, Baron. How much more British sounding can you get? Although, well, although when I think Woodhouse, I just think the butler from Archer. Also, um, Monty is a pretty, pretty British name. Nickname. Yeah. Like, oh, invite Monty over to the the well, Wales like, house this weekend. Like the weekend. top general, British general in World War Two was Bernard Montgomery, and that was called a Monty. Bernie Monty. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, he came to D.C. to kind of push uh, an overthrow attempt, like after this election. Uh, he was like, well, okay, well, these people are more sympathetic to us, so maybe we can do that. He's like, well, we probably don't have Truman's ear, but Eisenhower... He's with us. He's got it. It's not exactly Eisenhower he's talking to, but uh, I'll, I'll get to that here in a okay. minute. Okay. Um, but he decided to, uh, quote, emphasize the communist threat to Iran rather than the need to recover control of the oil industry, end quote. Because in Iran, it's northern, on its north, it borders the Soviet Union. Okay. So there's always that danger of communist infiltration or communist takeover. Oh. And of course, communist is the magic you know, panic word of the day. You At know, this time, is yeah. this is the red like the red era, the red scare, that kind of thing. Like that's getting ready to happen. You say communist, everybody's goes into a panic. How crazy is it that this is like we're talking like less than twenty years and within that twenty years people they went from like, yeah, Russians and British come in here, exploit our oil. We love you because money and then in less than twenty years they're like Russians are bad. The British basically turn on their partners who had helped them secure this oil and say, well, communism, though, and that's bad. Well, because they are fighting Nazis at the time, and Nazis were more evil. Man, lesser two evils. Yep. Okay, yep. well, I can't whistle. Yeah, we so. can edit a whistle in there, right? <laughs> well, there a whistle uh, and the people he met with to kind of push for this yeah. were the Dulles brothers. Okay, from Dulles Airport. Is named after one of them, yes. Um, That's the only thing I know the Dulles Brothers from, is well, the airport. Well, you're about to get a quick education on these jack wagons. Um, jack wagons! <laughs> jack wagons? <laughs> uh, John Foster Dulles, the older of the two, he, was, he had been born in 1888 to a Presbyterian minister and the daughter of a U.S. Secretary of State. Uh, I'm just going to refer to him as Foster from this point forward. That's just what he was called. Because okay. John is such a common name. Sure. Yeah. Right. There's uh, a thousand. And his younger brother, Alan Dulles, he was born in 1893. Their grandfather, John Watson Foster, uh, he had pushed for the overthrow of the Hawaiian monarchy in 1893. Ooh. So that, that gives you... another episode. Uh, maybe down the line. Yes. But if that gives you some context of where these people are coming from... This is their family. I'm so proud of you that you properly referred to that as an overthrow rather than 
it becoming a United State, a state of the United States eventually, because really, that's it, what it was. Yeah, it was, it was an like overthrow. Business interests like wanted you know to grow pineapples there. It was just what does America want fruit so bad that they're willing to fund regime changes? I mean, the year after this in Guatemala, 1954, like it was the United Fruit Company who wanted them to do it. Okay, sorry. So, like, you know, your bananas, like, your dull bananas. Yeah. And Chiquita, too. Or that maybe it might have been Chiquita. I'm getting that mixed up. But regardless, they're all, they're all assholes. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, an uncle by marriage, Robert Lansing, was another Secretary of State. So, he's related to Secretaries of State. It seems like there might be some nepotism going on in this particular instance. Just a wee bit. Okay. <laughs> um, uh Lansing had been was Secretary of State during the Paris Peace Conference after World War One. Like this is the big conference of like, all right, this is gonna settle everything, and it really settled nothing. Okay, it just created more problems. Great um, fun. Both Dulles brothers accompanied Lansing there and were greatly influenced by uh, Chief Racist Woodrow Wilson. Uh, <laughs> Wilson is like one of the most racist presidents what, we've ever had. Is he the one who kicked? Uh... Uh, Charles Young out of the military? Yes. Okay. I think so. The if Buffalo? I if I remember correctly, yes. Okay. Um, but just, yeah, just, he was the one who showed birth of a nation at the White House. Wow. And had no complaints about it. Yeah. He said he kicked Charles Young out of the Buffalo Soldiers and made it so he couldn't be a colonel? Was that? I think a general, if I remember correctly. He couldn't be a general because he said that white soldiers would never look up to a black general. So he he forcefully retired, medically retired him and said, you can't be in the military anymore, even though the doctor that ended up signing the thing was like, there's nothing wrong with him. But he did that so that he would not be a general during the Philippine... Was it the Philippine American War? No, that was a little. I think it was during World War One. Okay, well, he didn't want a black. Philippine American War was like a lot earlier than that. He yeah, didn't. A little context on Birth of a Nation. It's a, it's a basically a KKK propaganda. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's well and truly it's yeah. well and truly racist and white supremacist yeah. based. On so. a on a technical standpoint, sure, it was a pioneering film, but not. Just it's just a piece of garbage in there. Yeah, subject sense. wise, subject yeah. matter wise, it's yeah. not even worth no. watching. No, but uh, famous racist Woodrow Wilson. Uh, his liberal use of armed intervention would prove to be a major influence on the Dulles brothers. Okay. Uh, Wilson was probably the first U.S. president to just liberal use of the American military to intervene in different countries, like throughout Latin America in the 1910s, wow. uh, like Dominican Republic, Mexico. Uh, I think we interviewed in Haiti at one point. Uh, just all over the map. Wilson's like, oh, let's send troops there. Oh, we can send them there. Oh, well, these guys are doing nothing. Let's send them there. Is that um, how they ended up in Africa, too? Um, that's much later. Okay, sorry. Because um, Afri- much of Africa was still like held by the colonial powers at that point. I see. Okay. Um, World War One. I. I mean, you could see that as an American military intervention. Sure. Um, but anyway, um, that had a large influence on the Dulles brothers. Uh, they spent the 30s and 40s just working as lawyers for pro-business groups or for big companies. Great. Shocker. Um, Sounds very ethical. Of course, in the 30s and 40s, that was when FDR was in charge, and they wouldn't would not have been let anywhere near any degree of power. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Alan actually, Alan Dulles, the younger brother, he was actually in the OSS during World War II. Uh, the OSS was like a kind of a precursor to the CIA. 
Okay. Before World War II, we did not have a sort of, like, covert ops branch. Okay. Or, or a group in the government. Okay. Because we were very isolationist before that point, so... So, I see where we're going here. Yeah. The Dulles Brothers, CIA, yep. Eisenhower, yep. he loves the CIA. Yes. Okay. Uh, Foster, he briefly served in the U.S. Senate in 1949 for a few months, uh, and Allen was a high up at the newly formed CIA in the 1950s, uh, early 1950s. After Eisenhower's election, he appoints Foster as Secretary of State. Great. So, runs in the family. And he appoints Allen as Director of Central Intelligence. So these brothers, one's Secretary of State, one's Director of the CIA at the same time. It's two of the most powerful positions in the United yes. States government at the same damn time. Yes. Wow. The only time that would ever be kind of paralleled was... Uh, when JFK, after he was elected president, appointed his brother Robert Kennedy as attorney general. Wow. Yeah, that last time that happened. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so so you have these two brothers and, like, really, like, holding, like, two of the most powerful levers of government and uh, in that, the United States. I'm assuming that they're both, they both have, like, the same, um, the same sorts of views. Like, yes. they're both in the same yes. vein. So it's not like one is counterbalancing the other. No, it's, no, They're no. both, bo- like, all right, you guys, we got control of this ship, like and now we're going to go. fervently anti-communist. I see. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. They both favored covert actions to install U.S.-friendly governments. Uh, so this is this is great. You've got Eisenhower as president. You've got Foster as secretary of state. You have Allen as the director of the CIA. Mm-hmm. So you basically have the trifecta of what you need in order to just be doing stuff under the radar that you're not telling the government about. Yes. And you're not telling the people about. And you're basically doing whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And this is post-World War II. So it's like a l- quiet here, yep. culturally, in the United States. It's a little bit more quiet because we've just come off of World War II. Everybody's kind of like resettling. Mm-hmm. They're getting their jobs back. We're, we have this big production boom and then secretly, what I'm thinking is going to happen is we've got the Secretary of State, the CIA, and Eisenhower just kind of off doing evil deeds in other places, but they're not telling anybody about it. Exactly. And if they get caught, they're like, oh, well, we were doing it in the name of national security and anti-communism. And because kind of communists thing. are bad. And people yes. would be like, oh, well, yes. they're protecting us from Russia. Exactly. So it makes sense. Okay. Um, the last thing I have to say about their kind of background, uh, both Dulles brothers were, quote, moved by compulsive activism a conviction that they were instruments of destiny, and a reflexive sense of loyalty to the business elite that had made them rich, end quote. So they're like, they're almost like religious fanatics, but to business. Yes. That's creepy. Wealth is their god. Ugh. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. icky. Yeah, so... So they're like, yeah, big business interests really, really make us go, woo. No, yeah. Wow. Yep. So, yep. nice. Yeah, um... And so they approve, uh, and I, they get Eisenhower's approval to uh, do or to perform Operation Ajax and go through with it. All right, so now we're at Operation Ajax, yep. subject of episode one. Uh, now they lead someone to to uh, uh, lead this operation, a CIA CIA operative by the name of Kermit Roosevelt Jr. I read this name and I was like Kermit. Whose name is Kermit? Who would name their child Kermit? Well, he's named after Kermit Roosevelt Sr., the son of Theodore Roosevelt. I wanted, I was going to ask, too, if this had something to do with that. But interesting that you bring him up, because I feel like FDR was the antithesis of all of Not this. Not FDR. No. Theodore Roosevelt. I know. Oh. I'm, I'm saying that, but there, he's part of the Roosevelt family. 
I'm saying that FDR probably would is rolling around in his grave thinking about all this stuff that's happening. He's like, no, the people need to know. He's yeah. just rolling around. Yeah, this maybe. is evil. And Kermit's like, hey, hey, hey. I hate you. I was going to do it. <laughs> I, I, I was saying trying to do the Kermit the Frog impression, but I decided not to. Everybody wants a coup! <laughs> no, no, it's nobody wants a coup. <laughs> USA wants a coup! <laughs> all right, all anyway, right. Yes, you're right. Enough great. of that. Um, so, a uh, little bit of background on old Kermit, uh, or, or Kim, as he was called. Kim? Kim. God, that's so much better than yeah. Kermit. Well, I mean, they probably his dad probably figured that out. Like, look, I want to name you after me, but we're calling you Kim because my name is a nightmare. It's evil either way. God damn you, TR. <laughs> Uh, he'd been born in 1916 to Kermit Roosevelt Sr. and Belle Willard, and as I mentioned, he was the grandson of U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd graduated from Harvard in 1937, which, of course, he did. Rich, Roosevelt, Harvard. So yeah. all the Roosevelts went to Harvard? Uh, a lot I, of them? I, yeah, I know Theodore Roosevelt did. I don't remember if FDR did or not. There's probably a hand, library but, but, or seven over there named after him. Rich, Harvard. Oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um... And he'd actually served in the OSS during World War II, just like Alan Dulles. I don't know if they served together. I didn't find anything on them serving together. Hmm, uh, seems, uh, seems coincidental. Yeah, and he began his CIA career in the 1950s. Um, hmm. So, seems like there might have been some... Uh, possibly. Okay. Um, he had been sort of involved, uh, kind of tangentially, in a coup uh, the previous year, 1952, that overthrew the Egyptian king, Farouk. Uh, and that put uh, Gamal Nasser into power. Um, Nasser himself was, a, I mean, he's not part of this story, but just as a side note, he's a very interesting individual. We might do an episode later on on him. Okay. Um, kind of a fascinating individual. So um, this guy is like coo crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to get a shirt that says coo crazy on it. All so- about cooing. <laughs> That's not as good. <laughs> no. No, all about cooing. <laughs> No, what? no, it's not. Anyway, all right, we'll cut that out. Um, <laughs> no, we're not. We're uh, leaving that in. Anyway, Roosevelt, uh, after getting these orders, he sets off immediately for Iran. Uh, <laughs> he begins like uh, assembling CIA assets, including like politicians, military officers, some clergymen, newspaper editors, and most interestingly, street gang leaders. Okay, we got some street gangs in here. So to be clear, let me just pull this back to the British. Mm-hmm. Are these are these folks acting independently of the British wants of this particular story, or are they like, no, we are sympathetic with the British and we are absolutely going to help them out with this? Uh, the the British like they kind of come up with the idea and the U.S. kind of takes the lead on it, but uh, the okay. British are still involved. Okay, but I didn't not, know. But not they're not like the main force at this point. Anymore. I didn't know if like the U.S. co-opted this and they're like, right. we like your idea. And we're going to do it, but we're not going to give you any of the benefits. Oh, the British get some benefits, but we'll, we'll find that out. Okay, okay. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of all, but like the U.S. kind of takes the lead on it because the Dulles brothers are like, they've kind of just been looking for an opportunity to... <laughs> they're coo crazy. <laughs> they are. They really are. They 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 got the hots for cooing. Um you keep saying cooing. That's the thing. worst name. No, it, it's coo crazy. Anyway. Coo crazy is better. Uh, Roosevelt's alias. Well, I was because obviously not going to say, "Hello, I'm in Iran to overthrow the government. I'm a member of the CIA. My name's Roosevelt." Um, he's obviously not going to do that, so he goes by the name James Lockbridge. But he wasn't a very good covert operative in this sense, because, uh, and of course, 
he's not gonna lower himself to actually be part of the dregs of society. He's still gonna be like you know the higher end of it. Sure, so, sure. So he's at his hotel one day playing tennis against somebody. Yeah, that, like I said, high end of it. And in one instance, he got frustrated with himself because uh, he did a bad shot, and he just he just in frustration, he's like, "Oh, Roosevelt." Okay. What? A and weird. everybody looked at him like, "Why are you? Why are you saying oh Roosevelt? Isn't your name like James Lockbridge?" And he's just like, "Oh." I'm just cursing FDR because I hate FDR. And it's like, <laughs> nice, that's not much better. Nice save. Great save. Yeah. And it's like, I, I just when, Sometimes when you're coo crazy, you just have to blow some steam yeah. and let let your hair it's down like, a little oh, bit. Oh, Roosevelt. And play you some scamp. <laughs> coup, coup, uh, committing coups in other countries takes a lot out of you. So sometimes you need to play tennis at your hotel. Yeah. And you just get so frustrated with yourself. You just say your own name. <laughs> Sounds like a fake person. Like Sounds it, like a con- cartoon character. Like if I don't get a strike in bowling, I'm just like, oh, Cody. <laughs> oh, Reynolds. Yeah, well. Just, uh, but yeah, this is... I read that, I'm like, I can't not put that in there because it's just so <laughs> weird. Uh, but at this point, like, as CIA-backed mobs begin taking to the streets, ostensibly to protect against Mossadegh's policies, which had to start to take a, an economic toll. Because okay. uh, the... UK, like, they didn't embargo sure. the oil, so, so they're not they're making any money. Right. So, and it's not like, there's not really a lot, of, like, the public doesn't really have, like, you know, oil-driven vehicles or, sure. or you know, or that sort of thing, so it's like, they don't really have a use for it, uh-huh. so it's kind of just sitting there, not making them any money, so. So, the, um, the Dulles Brothers, when they go, you're saying that they go to Iran, and that's when they're making contacts with street gangs and clergymen well, Ro- in Ro- Iran. Ro- Sorry, uh, Kermit Roosevelt. Uh, yeah, he, he's doing that. He's, he's, but he's in Iran doing that. Yes. For some reason, I was like, he's doing it in America, and then they were just like, shipping those? No, 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 <laughs> They're no, like, no, American no, no, no. street gangs, are... do you want to go to Iran and participate in our coup? I mean, we do have a surplus of them, so they might be. Oh. But anyway. Um, we didn't then, maybe. Oh, maybe. Um, Anyways. Um, so basically they're making friends with the locals. Oh, yeah. And well, by making friends also means giving them money. Hiring them, is what you're saying. Yes. Essentially, they're hiring yeah. them, making they're, them... They're finding people who, like, um... Are sympathetic. Uh, either they want to do it out of, like, oh, yes, I agree with you, or I agree with you if you pay me money, or people who just want chaos. Okay. Like a bunch of jokers. <laughs> bunch of jokers. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, joker I mean, like, like Batman character. Yeah, just wants great chaos. Not, not like, just... I'm no. saying Joker. Okay. No, no, no. Cool. Um, got it. Got it, got it. Uh, the Parliament, uh, in response to this, they vote to give Mossadegh more powers to solve this crisis. Like, hey, just, just solve this, please. Which, on the outside, was seen as kind of an authoritarian move. It's like, oh, he's just seizing more power. He's seizing more power. So that kind okay. of pushes the Dulles brothers, like... Oh, he's gonna be. He's, he's gonna declare he's a communist. Oh, okay. So you know, I need to. We need to get him out of there. So were they taking powers from the Shah and giving them to most? No, d- well, take more powers from themselves. Oh, like the parliament. Okay. It, it, They're it, like, it, we are weak. Please, please help us. I, I rationalize it like this: when uh, typically, like in U.S. history, like you uh, used to, like have to ask Congress for a declaration of war. Sure. Well, in the past, like sixty odd years, it's like that's kind of gone away because, like, the Congress just votes to like, oh, president, you can just go, just just go solve our our problems with the military. Sure. Like I uh, kind of like the authorization to use force in Afghanistan. It's like that was just kind of an open check. Like, just go solve that problem. Okay. We're not declaring war. Just go solve that problem. Okay. So, um, 
But so it's like kind of taking power away from itself and I giving see. it to this person to solve this problem. Because they're like, it's going to take us too long to figure out what yes, we're going to do. Yes, because we're a bunch of dithering old men. Uh, I see. I see. Um, so the CIA they intensify their pressure through moms and press outlets. Uh, the shop through imams. Uh, yeah, through like uh, imams, mobs, press outlets, like religious leaders as well. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Just whatever outlet they can to like okay. kind of put pressure on this okay um the shah initially didn't want to take part in the coup he okay. didn't think the military would back him specifically okay uh but the cia implied that hey if you don't do this they're gonna overthrow you anyway because because they're starting to tell people even though mosaddegh is not a communist uh-huh. they're starting to tell him oh he's a communist i see that's how they're getting a lot of people because there is a small uh segment of um uh, of Iran that is communist, like they're called the Tuda Party. Okay. Again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I apologize if I'm not. Um, my apologies to all the Iranian communists out there. Um, their but their their imports was kind of inflated. Okay. Uh, to this, just to kind of rationalize, like, hey, they're going to take over. Most of the communist. So basically, they're just trying to fear monger. Yes. So that they're like, look, Shah, yes. if you don't declare an act of war right now. Yep. And get the military or if you don't behind cooperate, you. Cooperate, yeah. Yeah, then the military's going to overthrow you, anyways. Uh, yeah. It's... So basically, pushing him to the edge. Yes. The more things change, the more things stay the same. They're, they're essentially just fear mongering. Yes. Wow. Cool. Uh, cool, the C- cool. CIA, like, they really began to spread around the money. Uh, they literally had people bringing in cash to Kermit Roosevelt uh, to spread around. One of those people was a man by the name of General Norman Schwarzkopf. Blackhead. Uh, yeah, um, a little bit of background on him. Uh, he'd been born in 1895 to German immigrants, clearly. Uh, <laughs> he'd graduated from West Point in 1917 okay. uh, and served during World War One, but retired after the war. Uh, and he actually led the uh, New Jersey State Police in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, he was in charge of them at the time of the Lindbergh kidnapping. Oh, the Lindbergh baby. Yes. Okay, so he was cool. he was in charge of that. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Um, he returned the army in 1941, uh, and was posted to Iran in 1942 as kind of a liaison. That's such a long time to not be in the military and for them to just be like, yep, well, go ahead also, and go back. World War II, we needed People. officers. We're like, we don't care. You're old, you're yeah. fat, just come on. Just, we need, we need bodies. <laughs> um, wow. And he was promoted to Brigadier General after World War II. Okay. Uh, the name probably sounds familiar, uh-huh. because his son, Norman Schwarzkopf Jr., uh, led coalition forces against Saddam Hussein during the first uh, Persian Gulf War in the 90s. Weird. More yep. things change, more they stay the same. Yeah, everybody's connected. Yeah, oh, that's weird. Everybody's connected. And probably made a lot of money off of all of this. I don't know. I mean, probably. even if they didn't publicly make a lot of money, they yeah. probably privately made a lot of money. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, but the final plan... Uh, was to kind of provoke mobs via the press and then have the Shah dismiss Motadek as prime minister. Okay. Uh, and then appoint a general named Fazlola Zahedi okay. as prime minister to restore order. Like, he's a general. Um, he's going to come in and restore order. So this is all theater. They're like, we're yes. going to make this a big public thing. And then the Shah publicly is going to be like, no, Motadek is bad. He's communist. And then... Or he clearly can't get control of the situation after the united states has come in and paid for all of these people to act like this mm-hmm. 
And (laughs) then the Shah is going to say, this guy's bad. So instead, I'm going to implant this guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that he was sympathetic to both the Shah. Oh, he was well involved. He was involved. He was like well aware of everything. Great. Um, So this is just one big giant pageant. Pretty much. Great. Uh, Zahedi himself, he had been born in 1892 to wealthy landowners. and In Iran? Yes, in Iran. And he'd been promoted to general at the age of 25. Okay. So, what the hell are we doing with our lives? <laughs> hey, uh, I almost joined the military. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Alexander the Great conquered half the world by the time he was 33, so we need to get on it. Well, opportunity is one thing, and also, we're not rich. Both fair points. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, the Shah, uh, he signed off on the plan... Uh, he wrote the orders dismissing Mossadegh, uh, appointing Zahedi as PM, and then he promptly went on vacation to Rome. <laughs> like you do. I will yep. do these important things, and I will write them out And tomorrow, though, because I'm going to go to vacation. Yeah, well, he, he, he uh, forward-dated them to the following day after he left. <laughs> wow. So basically, he was like, I will do all of these things, but I'm also really scared, and I'm yep. going to flee the country afterwards. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Really strong leader there. Really oh, strong yeah. in his convictions. Uh, well, the coup failed. As wow. Mossadegh just straight up, like, no, you can't do this. He refused the decrees and rallied his supporters of parliament, and he's like, no. Wow. And the coup just fails. It fails. So, and he's just like, cool, well, I'm still prime minister. Yeah. And, and... I the, have the backing of the people. And the Shah is gone. Yes. He's out of the country. He, and he's just like... No. no, so no, like yeah. no, this isn't gonna work. And people were like, "Wow, really weren't expecting you to just say no." no. Yeah, <laughs> they expected him to fold like a like a, I don't know what, but <laughs> a house of cards. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> fold like a yeah um, yardstick. <laughs> at this point, uh, the CIA, uh, especially Alan Dulles, is like, "Hey, you know, this clearly didn't work." Uh, Roosevelt, go ahead and come on home. That's so funny because. I wonder if there's a tally of how much money they spent doing this. They're probably... I actually didn't write that down. Um, but but they, I'm sure that there is. They had to spend a whole buttload of money to... Yep, well, taxpayer dollars. Oh, this is government money. It wasn't just like... Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're not going to use their own money for this. Are you kidding okay. me? Okay. So it was a bunch of government money that oh, yeah. they went over there and passed the CIA, out like C- they were at the CIA club. slush funds. Yeah, they were, they were at the club basically just doling out cash in Iran oh, yeah, and yeah. then... The, and then it failed, and they were like, wow, cool. So, Roosevelt, he's ordered home. And this is where the mistake was made. Because, despite being ordered home, Roosevelt disobeyed his orders and resolved to try again. He's like, look, I know that there were some problems with this this go, we can, if we, but if we do it again, we can, we, can, we, we can succeed. That's so weird, because obviously now the PM's going to be, the, the Prime Minister Mossadegh is going to be hip to this. Well, he kind of just makes some mistakes. Um, okay. But I'll, I'll get on in a minute. Um, okay. Roosevelt, he he begins like sounding out more military leaders slash bribing them. Um, so he's just spending more money. Yes. He's like, that failed. You know what's going to solve this? More cash. The American way. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. You're not wrong. That's true. Uh, so within days... Roosevelt's assets had whipped up passionate mobs in the streets. Like, he had gotten the radio stations, like, to be even more, like, hey, no, like, anti-Mosadek, like, saying he's a communist, and he's, quote, an enemy of Islam, end quote, which is 
Okay. Well, that seems that's like going to rile some people up. That's another big step. Yes. Wow. Um, but Mosdek himself, uh, there were several missteps that he took. He didn't. He wasn't like he thought he defeated the coup. Uh-huh. So he just was kind of kind of let his guard down. I so see. it's kind of the opposite of like you know being hip to it. It's or being aware of it. It's like he just let his guard down. Wow. And he like ordered the police to bring up the mobs, which led to more violence, which turned oh. opinion against him. Uh, so like it, it, so he's it, losing the support of people. He starts losing the support of the people, and it gets to the point where like he's there's like Tehran, the capital of Iran, is just like just in chaos. And most of that, he actually flees to his house and barricades himself there. Like wow. there are there's a gun battle outside his house. Sheesh. And um, General Zahedi, who was again appointed by the shot to be the prime minister, he's like, right. all right, I'm taking charge of the military forces in the city. I'm gonna clear these out. Which is the signal for the CIA back people to be like, all right, well, I'm going to go home then. Wow. Dang. So he says that, and then the CIA assets are like, well, my part's done. We. Yep. Mission accomplished. Yep. Wow. Uh, Mosaddegh fled, but he surrendered himself shortly afterwards. He saw he could. He, there's no way he could win now. Um, wow. Mo, uh, Alan Dulles flew to Rome got the shot and flew with uh, the shot personally back to Tehran. Wow. Uh, and upon arriving, the shot told Roosevelt he, uh, quote, owed my throne to you. Okay. Well. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> so so there, there are two things that could have happened with Mossadegh. Number one, he could have been like, wow, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, that, no, that's what actually happened is he turned into George Bush. He was like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool <laughs> me twice. Well, you, won't, you won't fool me again. <laughs> and and But he did get fooled again. Yes. So uh, so there was one of two things. He could, either could have been hip to it, or he was like, well, there's they only have one coup in them. Yep. And they simply cannot do it again, even though things are really volatile here. Yep. You simply cannot do it again. I have solved this. Everything is fine, but... But I, so I guess in that case Roosevelt was right. He misunderestimated American resolve. Okay, he misunderestimated. He just or underestimated. underestimated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oops. So, so so he underestimated it. So yeah. in this particular case, Kermit Roosevelt tried again and succeeded. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's why that's why I said that thing in the intro. It's like if you first you don't succeed, yeah, you shouldn't try again. Wow. <laughs> this one instance where you should not have tried again because it. Well, I'm getting. I'll get in the aftermath okay. here. Um, Shaw comes back, um, and he's kind of more powerful than ever. He kind of has his puppet Zahedi as the PM. Um, How do the people feel about it at this point? Do they? Why do does they, their opinion matter at this point? Well, I just mean like, <laughs> do they do they see the Shah as somebody who's restored order to Iran, and have do yes. they feel like Mossadegh is now like the boogeyman? Not necessarily the boogeyman, but he's definitely lost a lot of his support enough to where the shock and just kind of begin to move things in a different direction. I see. So, uh, Mosaddegh, he's put on trial and sentenced to three years in prison, followed by house arrest for life. Wow. He dies in 1967. So he lives for a good while after this. Sheesh. Um, but he had to stay in his house yeah, the whole time? Uh, after three years in prison. That sounds terrible to have to... Well, I guess we've been doing that for the past And also remember, months. he was kind of the upper tier of Iranian society. Probably had, his family probably had a lot of money. Probably had a nice house. Although it did just get shot up, so. Wow. 
I wouldn't want house arrest in my apartment for the rest of my life. That would be mine. Well, I mean, we although we basically had it for the past year and a half. I know that's what I'm saying. But for the past eighteen months, we've basically been yes. under house arrest. So yeah, um, uh, the uh, Mossadegh's National Front party was disbanded. Wow. Um, the oil industry in Iran was divided between several companies. Forty mm-hmm. percent uh, went to the AIOC. Okay. So. It's kind of a, really a reduction from where they were right. before all this started because they had one hundred. They control one hundred percent of it. Sure. Now they're down to forty percent, but at least they have something. Okay. And the Americans help, so that we gotta give them something. So forty percent goes to various U.S. oil companies like Chevron, Exxon, oh, Mobil. Great. Of course, twenty percent goes to some French energy company I never heard of before. Okay. And Shell. Great. The AIOC, because they decide, well, this whole thing has been bad PR for us, so. In 1954, they renamed themselves. What do you think they renamed themselves to? OPEC. No. Oh, well. British Petroleum. Oh, BP. BP. Nice. Well, my guess was wrong, but... Yep, so those green gas stations you pass by, just think, look at them and think, hmm, they, they overthrew democratically elected Prime government. Minister. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Interesting. They're... they're, they're Living up to living down to their reputation, rather. Living so, down to their reputation. So, uh, the Shah continued to rule uh, with an iron fist through the military. Mm-hmm. A bunch of the PMs after this are just military generals. Mm-hmm. Um, he Great. spent billions on arms deals with the United States. Of course. Another reason to overthrow a democratically elected government because an authoritarian needs weapons to rule. And, and bo- yeah. Might as well buy American. <laughs> uh, well, hate- we're there first. Because oh, yeah. all of the other surrounding countries, they got to keep their weapons. Oh, we yeah. got a surplus, so oh, yeah. might as well sell it to them. You know they're going to get used. Exactly. Uh, Zahedi continued as prime minister until 1955, uh, dying in 1963. So Mossadegh actually outlives him. Um, wow. The Shah established a secret police force, which is always great, called the Savak. It, it's an abbreviation for the Iranian terms. I don't know. Um, and they were trained by Schwarzkopf. Um, he actually uh, dies uh, in 1958. He retires after training Saba. He dies in 1958. Okay. Um, of course, as I mentioned, his son goes on wow. to lead. This seems uh, very forces. ethical to uh, train a secret police force and then your son to go in and, uh, you know. Go into the neighboring country, like, you know, 40 years later. Wow. Yeah. Great. Yep. Good comp- yep. Good. Uh, Sports good- cops, a uh, lot, of, lot of association with the Middle East. <laughs> Great. So... Uh, discontent began to boil over in the 1970s because uh, the Shah just continued leading this lavish lifestyle, whereas the remaining Iranian people just are living in poverty. Like if you look at any pictures of the Shah, especially like any like official portraits, military uniform, medals all across the chest. He's got like this massive crown. Wow. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's, so, so basically, it just doubled down on this whole like caste oh, society, yeah. serfdom mm-hmm. society. Okay, With so the Shah at the top. Okay, so Shah's at the top. He's still making buku bucks. He's probably getting lots of money through this um, BP deal. I'm sure. Oh yeah, through the arms sales and all this stuff. Yeah, so he's making a ton of money, but the rest of Iran is like, well, we lost our voice mm-hmm. in government, and now. We are not reaping any of the benefits. Oh, yes. So all of the money is staying at the top. It's not coming down to the, the more common people. Correct. Okay. Great. Uh, an example of this, in 1971, uh, the Shah threw a birthday party for the country. 
the uh, celebrating the 2500th anniversary of the beginning of Iranian civilization. Jeez. It was held in Persepolis, which was like the ancient ancient capital mm-hmm. of Iran. I'm familiar. Um but just utterly lavish, like all these heads of states go. Wow. Uh I think the queen went. Um <laughs> makes sense. Uh Nixon couldn't have been bothered to go cuz Nixon doesn't party. <laughs> um <laughs> he's a serious man, he's making phone calls. Exactly. Um <laughs> so he was a Spiro Agnew, also very corrupt person, um, just the and the opulence on display for because he wanted to impress all these heads of state from around the world, all these monarchs and presidents and prime ministers and leaders want to impress them. So like, so much money is put into this thing. It is so lavish and it kind of just pisses off the people of Iran. Wow, yeah, to the point where they just will not stop revolting. Um, wow, well, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, and when the Shah it? it gets to the point where Shah flees Iran in January nineteen seventy nine. Wow. Uh, he eventually dies in Egypt the next year. He basically, like, as soon as he left, he went. He eventually made his way to the United States, and 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 they found out like, oh, you have cancer. Oh. Yeah. So it's like he just died like not long after. So it's like. Sheesh. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was old. He was kind of old. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, no, he's only sixty-one. Yeah, in his early sixties, so he wasn't wasn't that old. Wow. I mean. But also, like, it just goes to show you can have as much money in the world, but if you don't have your health. Yeah. What's going to happen? Exactly. Uh, Iran was eventually, in 1979, taken over by the Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini. Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I've heard many, the name. Many members of his early government were disciples of Mossadegh. Like, they had been, like, early supporters, like, young idealistic uh, politicians back in the day. Okay. And they saw this as a chance, like, oh, well, maybe, maybe we can have a democracy again. Mm-hmm. Until the Ayatollah was like, uh, democracy? Uh, no. We want, uh... Islamic Republic ruled by the clerics. Uh, democracy can go... You know, we can just go F off. Um, so he eventually purged those supporters. Um, Great. Yeah. So basically they were like, listen, this is the time where if we're going to be reasonable, this is the time to make the changes so that we can be a more reasonable country. Mm-hmm. And he was like... Reason? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> what are you talking I, about? I am appointed by God. Yeah. I am appointed by exactly. Allah. Like... Exactly. I am, because that's what Ayatollah means, right? It's like holy I don't know what leader. it actually means, but I, I know it's like the religious leader. Yeah, it, it's like not the highest religious leader, but it's like the one below. I think the highest is like Grand Ayatollah or something. Oh, like that. I see. But it, it's it's high up there. Okay, but um, it's a religious. It's yes. ultimately a religious. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, these and the reason I picked like Roosevelt trying again as the mistake itself uh-huh. because well, one Iran, like eventually what happened to it, and like really. It's really the seed of like our current our current problems with Iran. Sure. Um, if they're we had been allowed to mature as a democracy, you know, we probably wouldn't have these problems we're having with them today. Right. Um, especially because they see it's like oh, in our history, these Western governments have tried to over, like they they've overthrown our governments before. They've meddled. Yes. They've... This is why we need nuclear weapons to protect ourselves. Yeah. Because what's going to happen next is Western countries who already have nuclear weapons are yes. going to come and try and do it again. Yes. Because of our oil. Another reason I picked that as a mistake was that the success of that coup led the Dulles brothers to be like, hmm, well that works. Oh, so they had a formula. Yes. So they pushed for other regime changes, most prominently the next year in Guatemala in 1954. Mm. United Fruit Company, the Bananas, 
Yes. And, uh, of course, numerous other instances across the globe over sure. the following decades. Was that always for resources? Were they, like, resource-driven? Or Not did always. they just care? Sometimes just anti-communist. They were just like, we don't like, care. Like uh, Chile in the 1970s. Um, Nixon was like, well, we need, to, we need to get the communists out of there. So, <laughs> so but even basically... Though, even though it wasn't communist. It was just a socialist. <laughs> okay. Not, well, not like a... Com- like, like a so, Bernie Sanders-type socialist, not a... Joseph Stalin type social. Sure, right. <laughs> so. so, so basically, the Dulles brothers could smell a ripe coup, or yes. a country that was ripe for coup. Oh yes. And they had a blank check. They had carte blanche to basically yep. be Eisenhower's little coup bringers. Oh yeah. And they would and go to a country, and they would sow the seeds, and then regime yep. changes would happen. Yep. Great. Great, uh, great, great, great. Foster Dulles died in 1959, uh, shortly after resigning as Secretary of State. He'd gotten ill and resigned and then died shortly after. So he, so he was Secretary of State for a, a long time, for a good six years. Yeah. Which is usually on, like, the longer end mm-hmm. of uh, terms for that. Alan Dulles, he continues to lead the CIA until 1961. Wow. So he, he's, the, like, I think to the date the longest-serving head of the CIA. When was JFK assassinated? 1961. Or 63, I'm sorry. Um... He continued to say until 1961 uh, after the failed Bay of Pigs invasion okay. in Cuba. Mm-hmm. He got fired because it failed. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. It's like, well, it like it first was also, coup that didn't work. It was also because like, JFK wasn't really fully behind that. Sure. Right, right. Uh, and he kind of saw that as an excuse. Like, all right, you can yeah. get out of here. You've been here too long. Uh, but after JFK was assassinated, uh, Alan Dulles was part of the Warren Commission that investigated the assassination. Ah, I see. Uh, and he eventually died in 1969. I, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but just saying, kind of weird. I mean, everybody knows it was you know, Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> I don't think it was LBJ necessarily, but I'm just saying, you have the head of the CIA, he gets fired by a JFK two years before JFK yeah. is assassinated, and then is part of the commission. It was Lyndon Johnson in association with Frank Sinatra and the mob. Don't you know this? <laughs> well, I have heard that one before, but yes. I feel like a a situation like a governmental situation because they were upset that JFK was bringing in a lot of more democratic ideas yes. into what had previously been a very Republican I mean, regime. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. John, Thanks. or not John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> wrong, wrong person. Lee but, Harvey Oswald. Yeah, it's the three name thing. It always gets me. It always messes me up. Assassins what? always have three names. I know why. Lee Harvey Oswald, Those John Wilkes Booth. James Because <laughs> they're all planted. <laughs> but but I'm just saying, it seems pretty coincidental that you fire a person and then they then later become head of the Warren Commission. Well, or the head of it, they were, he was just on it. But he's still on the commission to investigate that person's death. Seems weird. Yeah. Anyways, anyway, uh, Kermit Roosevelt uh, he declined to be involved with the 1954 action in Guatemala. He'd been cooed out, I guess. <laughs> He's um, like, man, I'm really cooed out. Yeah. I tried once, and then I had to try again, and it yep. succeeded, but... Man, it, it took it out of me. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to end on a high note. I'm going to go play tennis. Uh, he retired from the CIA in 1958, okay. uh, and he died in 2000. So he was old yeah, AF. He, and still believe, yeah, he'd been born in 1916, so he was 84 years old when he wow. died. Wow. But he was still believing that the coup was a success, even though he saw everything that happened with Iran since then. He's like, so, so, 
it's so crazy that he could he could think that in the moment it was right and then see all of the brokenness that happened mm-hmm. afterwards and still be like, yeah, no, we did the right thing. It's like, okay, yeah. so destabilizing a country yep. because you made a coup there yeah. is doing the right thing? Yeah. So weird. Uh, and then on good old Monty, Monty Woodhouse, um, he served in Parliament in the 1960s and 70s, and after uh, his father died, he later became the fifth Baron Tarrington. Which is basically a fake title. I mean, they're all fake. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like they really own land anymore. Yeah. So. so do, but he was also right. the same age as Kurt, old Kermie. Yeah, yeah, he died in, uh, in 2001. And Ancient man. While American involvement in the coup was an open secret for years, the CIA did not officially confirm involvement until 2013. Wow. 60 years later. <laughs> wow. What? What? Like, how crazy. Especially because there had been... The United States had military involvement post... Like, after that time, right? The United States had been in Iran militarily after Oh, yeah, that. oh, yeah, yeah, Bef- yeah. I mean, like, between when this coup happened in 19... Well, well that's, just, that's just like, oh, well, they asked for our assistance. Oh, I see. They asked for our assistance. <laughs> okay. So. Wow, cool. So, so basically, they were like, yeah, no, we're not going to accept that. And then, were there documents released or something? Or did they just yeah, come out and say uh, Yeah, I think uh, probably a FOIA request. Or I think sometimes those documents are just declassified after a certain amount yes, of time. Yes, exactly. Because that's exactly 60 years later. So Yeah, they do get declassified. Um, so. so, And that's kind of like uh, we mentioned in the intro episode, like the 20-year rule. A yeah. lot of governments, like, that's why. Because there's like a 20-year, sometimes 30-year time release on documents pertaining things. Sometimes a judge can extend it. Sure. Um, I thought of another instance where a judge extended that and it was funny, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's it. Um, so basically to sum it up, <laughs> the British and the Russians were like, Hey, we want this oil. We want to protect this oil and our interests in this mm-hmm. oil. And then later on the British were like, but, now they're saying that they don't want us to be here and so we don't get any more of it and the Iranians are like yeah we want to control it ourselves so the British are like fine if we can't buy it and we don't get an interest in it then nobody does and the US has this weird perfect storm of people who are like no no we're gonna no we're gonna stage a coup Mm -hmm. we're definitely gonna stage a coup and then we're gonna give the British a gigantic stake in the oil company afterwards Mm -hmm. and we're going to destabilize them for the future and increase poverty and decrease democracy and even though they had elected their own democratically elected leader it wasn't like the United States had to come in and install democracy which almost always fails yeah I mean in the long run it did fail yeah so, so they had their own democracy. We come in and we're like, no, no, let us do this. Let us help you with this. We're well, going to install let, this coup. Yeah, and they're and coming and staging it so it looks like, well, this guy, he, he just he can't control it. He, it's just chaos. Yeah, here. it was like and, but, theater. But we're gonna bring an order. Yeah, it was like theater. It's yes. like we're gonna we're gonna create this whole situation where it looks like this guy is just completely out of control in this country mm-hmm. so that people have their faith in their Shah restored and instead it just has completely unraveled their government for the, for the what is it, 67, 68 years since then? Mm-hmm. So, great. Yep. So, in this particular case, we effed up. The U.S. Mm-hmm. effed up. Yes, we certainly did. 
Cool. Uh, sources for this episode include Iran, the Essential Guide to Cut to a Country on the Brink, uh, a couple books by Stephen Kinsler, the brothers, uh, John Foster Dulles, Alan Dulles, and their Secret World War, and All the Shah's Men, an American Coup, and the Roots of Middle East Terror, as well as Tim Weiner's Legacy of Ashes, The History of the CIA. Uh, all of them good reads. Um, definitely would definitely recommend all of them, especially the uh, All the Shah's Men book. That's a literally a book about this coup. Wow. So if you want more information or more detailed information than what we were able to provide, definitely go uh, read that. Check that out. Cool. Um, so, uh, Teresa, you- Teresa, you have another podcast you could plug. Oh, uh, yes, I have a podcast. It's called Wander On. It's a travel podcast. It's definitely not as serious as this one, but it's about... Um, being able to travel ethically, lifting up small businesses, being able to um, travel on your, um, basically to travel ethically and to support the people who live in a community on their terms. So that's what that's about, basically. Um, Cody, do you want to give our listeners a tiny hint about what the next episode might be? Uh, certainly. Uh, all I'm going to say is uh, don't make your army camp over the winter. (laughs) Well, I'm assuming we're talking about in the past, not now. Correct. Okay. (laughs) Because I don't think we camp in tents anymore in the winter. No. So, okay. All right. So don't let your army camp in the winter. Or maybe a better way to put it is like, don't be cheap. Don't be cheap. That's a, that's a great, uh, It's a great thing, a great life lesson to take with you all the time. Yes, and high uh, quality. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and since you're more adept at that stuff than I am, uh, do you want to tell them where, or tell our listeners where they can find us on social media? Uh, social media is pretty much all just at we effed up. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Um, that's about the extent of the social media for right now. Potentially in the future, we'll get more. But um, so Instagram, TikTok, or not TikTok. Damn. <laughs> we don't have a TikTok. Yeah, Dang we're not it. we're not we're not hip with the youngsters. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, TikTok baffles me to this day. So, uh, at we effed up on Instagram, um, we'll have maybe some key photos for this episode that we'll publish up with the episode, and some teaser stuff for next time. And we're also on Twitter at we effed up. Definitely check us out, co- like, comment, subscribe, do the, all of the things on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening to this because that's how people find us. And if you have an idea for a topic we'd like to talk about, uh, we'd certainly love your feedback. Uh, my expertise uh, tends to be more American or uh, ancient Roman, uh, generally just Western history, more so than like African or East Asian or Indian. Like so, so I'm not as well versed in those areas as I'd like to be. So if you have suggestions about uh, those areas, uh, or if you just have any suggestion at all, feel free. Uh, we'll definitely look into it, and we might do an episode about it. Um, the our email address is weeftup at gmail So definitely send us an email. Um, when Cody says that he wants your suggestions, he definitely does because he's probably going to buy like 40 books about the thing. Um, if you have a suggestion about a book that could potentially come out as like a really good subject on that, definitely give us that too. So, Or if you have a free book you'd like to mail us, go ahead and do that. <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll get a P.O. box or something so yeah. nobody's coming over here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another, another thing I'd like to plug, uh, our friend Steve has a YouTube show called The Drunken Pawn. Uh, if you like uh, board games and beer, 
or one or the other, <laughs> maybe not both at the same time. But, uh, go ahead and go to YouTube. Uh, look up the Drunken Pawn. They they do. They have like what thirty odd episodes now. We have more now. We have like almost fifty. Fifty. Yeah. Oh, fifty. Oh, there you go. I'm corrected. But we fifty plus weekly. episodes. Uh, they come out uh, regularly, weekly. Uh, so go ahead and do that. And he is producing and sound editing our episodes. So special thanks to him. <laughs> Yay! All right, that's a wrap. So uh, check us out next time. We'll have another episode soon. So signing off. Bye. Farewell.